Welcome to Practice in Public. We're your hosts. I'm Miles the Pessimist. And I'm Casey the Optimist. We're in a relationship and have failed multiple times at many things. I'm interested in having difficult conversations about failure. And I'm interested in what happens after you fail, stories of courage, and how mistakes can become lessons. We want to embrace the tough stuff and talk to people about parenting fails, relationship fails, making friends in your mid-30s. I want to talk to everyone about everything. Okay. are the first person that we've interviewed that wasn't ourselves so thank you for volunteering for that you're our first interviewee that's all right and yeah hopefully we won't suck at it (laughs) (laughs) but if we do you can tell us because that's what this podcast's all about you guys will smash it it's about it's about yeah messing up and well that's a good way of looking at it but i think you guys will smash it Thanks. I hope so. Thank you. Cool. And I think also thank you for doing this while you're sick. That's right. <laughs> yeah, thank you for doing it while you're sick. Um, oh, it's so fine. Like, I'm going to work later. Oh, are you? Okay, so, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. So I guess, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Tell for us. Sure. Um, so my name is Karen. I am a sex worker in Sydney. Um, I've like done a bunch of different kinds of work. So I've gone, like, when I first started, I was independent, um, which is, like, a big jump from what I was doing. And then I worked briefly at an agency and since, like, Sester and Foster and stuff, I've um, been doing brothel work. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Can you explain for us what Sester and Foster is? Because we actually had to Google that when you messaged us. Sester and Foster are the laws that are in place now currently from the 1st of January, I believe, in America that passed basically to stop enabling sex trafficking Mm -hmm. acts and foster, what does it stand for again? All I know is that um, on paper it seems like it's, so it's like Foster's Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. But basically what it's aiming to do is to hold websites accountable for possible sex trafficking. Right. Right. So the grey area with that is that you can't necessarily know who is and who isn't being trafficked by an ad. Okay. It also goes against a lot of like what a lot of websites, like dating websites like Tinder or like even like Instagram and Snapchat and stuff like that. They have to like are now accountable for what people post, which is brand new to the internet. Whereas, yeah. like, obviously, they could put a disclaimer up and say, We don't allow people under 18 to post or this content or this content, and it put the onus back on the person posting to be accountable for the law. Yeah, and obviously, admins and stuff would take things down if they were reported, but now they have to take more action to like protect themselves. Right. So that's where, like, the ma- so, like, obviously it's in America, but the thing is is that Australian people, even under decrim, Australian sex workers, use American websites without even knowing. Yeah. That, so basically we're held under the same responsibilities to uphold the law and, like, be, you know, like, go to their terms and conditions. And it means that, like, people being shadow banned and people's websites are being taken down and advertising is completely being thrown out the window and so all these new Australian websites are trying to come up and create good 
good websites for people to host, but then so the supply and demand for Australian clients for sex workers has just been dispersed. Ah, okay. So like there's some, all the clients are still there, but they have no idea where to go. And all the girls are still there, but then they're advertising on a million different things or picking one thing. Oh, and okay. so that's where there's this huge disrupt, like disruption. Okay. Is that why you've moved from doing what you do privately to working for a place? Yes. Yeah. So obviously, like, when I was independent, I could kind of guarantee a profit. Like, I could justify to myself, say, spending $700 on a hotel for three nights. And I had so many live bookings through, like, Cracker and Backpage that I could guarantee that I would make, like, a decent amount of profit. Yeah. But as soon as Backpage and Cracker went down, it was like all of my last-minute bookings just, like, didn't know where to find me uh, and didn't know where to look. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, and it just I think everyone was disrupted in, like, very different ways. For me, obviously, like, people that have been more established that have regular clients were better off. Yeah. But if you were relatively newer and you didn't have, like, a large base of regular clients – then you just went from earning, say, like $3,000, $4,000 a week to maybe getting one booking or two bookings, but you're not sure if they're going to turn up or not. Right, right, right. Okay. So on yeah. paper it looks really like they're trying to do the right thing, but it actually has yeah. repercussions that so, affect everyone. So that's obviously like Sister and Foster are, on paper they seem like a great idea, but again, by holding websites accountable, it doesn't necessarily save trafficking victims. It just pushes it underground yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good point yeah yeah so what so do like, you think that's what a lot of sex workers are like so frustrated about is that they're just destroying the map for like police to actually follow and like find right that's right. Yeah, because that's right. obviously online it's a lot easier to find things if they post some ads and there's locations and there's phone numbers and there's ways of actually contacting people that are being trafficked right then if they just say, okay, all the ads and all the advertising online is taken down because if you're being trafficked, like whoever's trafficking you isn't going to go, okay, well, Never the mind. website's down, <laughs> yeah. so I guess you can go. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. this worked out horrible for the both of us. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, let's go outside, go on the street, and like we'll figure it out. Yeah, like, they'll just they'll just figure out a different way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's, and then as well, like, if people have to work harder and they, like, find people more vulnerable, the people that are contacting people and they view them as vulnerable are more likely to be dangerous. Like, yeah. as soon as Sister and Foster were not not in place, but when they were announced and Backpage got shut down by the FBI, um, I think, I can't remember the exact amount, but basically assault and murder of sex workers went up, like, exponentially because people were taking so much like they were taking more risks and they were freaking out because again they were just like put on their ass about like how how do I figure out what what's going to work for me what's not going to work for me and if you're like a survival sex worker then you don't have any way to advertise then like you just go on the street yeah 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 Yeah. we're much more vulnerable than you would be yeah yeah. so so I think it's interesting like how it like, American laws have come and actually, like, 
like interfered with Australian sex work and even in New South Wales where it's decriminalised, how much of a difference it's made. Yeah. So I think, and you can see it when you look at brothels and stuff now, huge influx of girls. Right. Just so, so many new girls coming in because they just don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I guess it's like it seems to be in in communities where like where people aren't supported in the right way it causes a whole bunch of issues like so i'm i'm interested to yeah. know like what you think needs to be done in order to change um things and make and make things safer for sex workers well i think the like the very obvious answer is like decriminalization just yeah. all around because yeah. obviously that helps people to feel safer going to the police and it also negates the fact that people who break one law by seeing you are more likely to break other laws uh, yeah it's right. it's this society deems people that are breaking a law under so say criminalization they know that they're doing something illegal by seeing a sex worker they already have that stigma on them and so it's a slippery slope i yeah, guess yeah and also it's understandable that if you see someone you know that they're vulnerable and if you did something they'd be very unlikely to go to the police because they could be arrested themselves right then it just puts you in a corner so by new south wales being decriminalized like people see us in like a brothel or independently or an agency and they know that like you pay taxes or you have an ABN or yeah. like like you're you on the books. Like, fam- like you might be out to your family because it's decriminalized. Yeah, like you yeah, might be yeah. more likely to be out and have people know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. if it's decriminalized, like it's a layer of like sex work's one thing, and you have to kind of really work through it. Regardless, even like if it's criminalized or decriminalized, you still have to work through like yeah. inner homophobia. But if it's if you're deemed as a criminal on top of that, yeah. I can just imagine, like, how much more difficult it would be to actually say, like, yeah, I'm a sex worker and I do this, yeah. I do this, and, yeah. like, you know, in all aspects of your life with, like, family and friends and partners and whatever else. Yeah, that yeah, makes total that's sense. that's a good point. Sense. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one of the things, like, I wanted to, kind of leading on from what you said um, after that question, in terms of, like, can we talk about inner whorephobia? Like, you you said that, you know, people have to work through that sort of stuff. So, I I mean, one of our things about the podcast is working through those hard things, Um, you know, and and for me, in terms of where I come into the podcast, talking about courage and how you've had to draw on your courage. Did you have inner whorephobia and can you tell us about that and working through it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my whorephobia kind of came from this, like, I think it's very integral for a lot of women, like, growing up is trying to figure out how much of your sexuality is your identity and mm. how much your sexuality is your worth as, like, a woman. Yeah. And when you put a monetary value on that, it can be a very, like, oh, how do I word this? It can be a very enlightening but also really troubling thing to kind of go through. It's yeah. like you've put a va- you you have to put a value on yourself, yeah. a monetary value, and then you have to try and work through: Am I worth that amount? Why am I worth that amount? Will people see me? Will people like come to me for this amount of money? 
and see it as worth it. Yeah. And that's really difficult to go from, like, being younger and having sex with people for free and having promiscuous sex or having one-night stands and stuff. It's a very, like, it's a way, like, that kind of goes into when you go into sex work and you think, how much could I have earned, like, fucking some random dude on Tinder that was horrible? Yeah. 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 It's like, would he pay me $500? Would he pay me $1,000 to hang out with me for 12 hours? Like, I don't know. Yeah. you look back at it, and but when you work through that, you can go, yeah, you should have. And then you yeah. find a lot of sex workers just don't have casual sex because they like think of it in the sense of why would I fuck someone who's probably gonna be terrible for yeah. free? Yeah. So like it works, it works really well. You work yeah. through it, yeah, and you get over the idea that like yes, you're selling a service, you're selling. Like, you're not thinking of it as, like, you're selling your body or, like, selling your appearance. Like, how much am I worth? You're thinking of it as, how much is my time worth? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you find that you kind of go the other end and then you end up with this, like, inflated ego. And you kind of right. go, yeah, yeah, you know, I could earn, like, I think of it, like, when you casually date or something, you're like, I could earn $3,000 on that date. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I was charging my hour, oh, what am I doing? Yeah, I was going to say, like, it must, it must trickle through to, like, like that that sort of speaks to me and like me constantly thinking how can I make money it's like it must trickle down to like a lot of your relationships and like yeah like you saying yeah why would I go on this date for free when I could I could have made three grand out of this the same experience yeah yeah exactly and as well you find that a lot of clients because there's a monetary value might actually be more respectful and considerate right they're paying for something so there's this expectation of like how do I treat this person? How should she feel? I hope she has a good time, yeah. you know, because yeah. she might think bad of me for paying for this or blah, blah, Whereas if you go on a date, there's maybe less expectations from them to make sure that you're having a good time. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you don't think of it until you have, like, a middle-aged, like, married man paying to hang out with you. Yeah. Yeah. That you're like, oh, he's actually really nice and respectful and like he's like genuinely concerned if I'm having a good time because he's anxious about like paying for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also I think people have an idea about spending money and like getting their money's worth. So they might want to make sure that everyone's having a good time because it's like, well, I'm shelling out money for this, like so it needs to be a good experience. It has to on be a good whole. experience for everyone. I don't know. Is that correct? It's, yeah. It's that... a way for them to justify. I think as well, it's like their whole phobia that they're dealing with. Sure. Yeah. They're paying for something, and if the girl isn't enjoying herself when it's over, there's this huge amount of shame. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. It's oh no. If I told anyone about that, they would think so horribly of me. But yeah. if they're the nice guy and they actually like go either way and treat you like a great boyfriend or something like that, then it feels more justified or it feels cleaner to them yeah, in yeah. some way. Yeah. Like they, it's because there is this obviously like stigma and stereotype that like sex workers are just like always burnt out and hate their jobs and like it's only about the money and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like, a lot of I'd say a lot of bookings are the guy being like what do you you like how how like are you enjoying yourself like what can I do and obviously those questions can be like exhausting because you're like this is my job yeah yeah (laughs) and like 
yeah, I'm enjoying it, I guess, but, like, are you actually, you know, in half an hour, are you going to listen to me talk for 20 minutes about what I like so yeah, that you can yeah. actually figure it out? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Like, so it's a lot of communicating being like, it's fine that I'm not, like, having multiple orgasms and I'm not, like, falling in love with you. Yeah, like, right. It's half an hour. <laughs> yeah. It takes me, like, an hour to come. So, like, yeah. I'm, probably, I'm probably just going to be like, that was great, thanks. Right. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. up, jump in the shower, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point. But, you know, like, it's, it's them trying to justify it to themselves, which is, like, obviously difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Has it made you pickier in terms of like, like say, I mean, you talked about going on dates and things like that and like on, you know, Tinder. Has it made you pickier in terms of like how you spend your time when you're not working? Oh, 100%. Like, What's the day in the life? What do you do with your spare time? I've been in a relationship since prior to when I was working, but we were like Mm non-monogamous and I think the huge like impact on how we're still together and how our relationship works is because we started out non-monogamous seeing a bunch of people and my partner is way better at being non-monogamous than I am Um, (laughs) so like he would be dating all these people and I'd be like Oh, <laughs> what do I do? I'd go on a date and the date would be terrible. Like the guy would be allergic to cats. We'd have sex and his face would blow up. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm assuming that's because you have cats, not that you are part cat. <laughs> oh, it was just like, these clothes are clean. I don't know what happened. I went on this date and then we had sex. And then as soon as they like finished having sex, he like actually had like, a very strong allergic reaction and I just like I have to go <laughs> and then Bye. my partner's out having all these really nice lovely days I think it's because women are like nicer to date they're more consistently good yeah <laughs> like that's a generalization but I think that on dates and going on casual dates girls are just a lot nicer and a lot more fun yeah but um so I was like oh okay and the circumstances of how I started working were pretty like heavy like I was like going I'd just gotten out of like a really abusive relationship and I'd moved into this house and I was working in finance and a guy that I'd known for like three years came over to my house and sexually assaulted me in the middle of the day oh, and Jesus. so I can't like go into like huge amounts of detail because um, I'm t- like we're going to court about it, yeah. Oh, yeah, and fair I like enough. reported him. But um, well, good for well you. done, yeah. Well, well done. done reporting it. That must have been really hard. So basically, my partner, who I'm with, we were dating at that point, and wow. he was the person who was like, "We need to like you need to report like this is a you know one of these situations where fortunately for you it's pretty clean cut." And you have every right to feel capable of reporting and taking this further. And he was, like, the whole reason why I went to the hospital and got a kit done, went to the police that night on on the night that it happened. And all of those things kind of helped my case go to court. Um, And he was like, yeah, like, like his ex-girlfriend works for a domestic violence shelter and he, like, called her, what do I do? What do I do? Right. Uh, like, what should we do? I don't know what to do. And she gave him all this advice. And so he, was, he came, over, came over and we spent the whole day together doing 
horrible traumatic things, which was just like sitting in a hospital and sitting in a police station until 2 a.m. But um, that really put a light on my priorities. Like I had spent so much time just like living paycheck to paycheck and kind of just surviving. Yeah. And I thought of it, I thought like it, it obviously if you've ever been like assaulted, there's so much introspection. It's so much like yeah. me, like what is it about me? What do what do I do? What do I feel? Like what like it it's very like egoistic. A lot of the time you don't it takes you months to actually think about the other person that was involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it's just like what is it about me? So it puts a light on your identity. And I found that, like, I have known about, like, sex work. And I, you know, I have, like, a sister who is a stripper. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was aware of it. But I was like, well, there's a lot of, like, autonomy to being a, like, independent escort. Like, you can say no to as many people as you want. And you mm-hmm. can control everything. Like, there's this huge sense of control. And I was like, maybe that's a way for me to control, like, what happens with my body but also earn enough money so that I can work two, three days a week and have four days off. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go to therapy and, like, have (laughs) this huge amount of time just for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Self-care. Practice self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Self-care. And, like, I was working in finance at the time and when I'd gone and told my manager, like, I was – I think a lot of, like, obviously this is for a lot of people. I was into survival mode and I thought mm. of it kind of like if I'd been loved or something, how casually I brought it up to my manager. I like, went to my work on the Monday. It happened on a Saturday. I was like, oh, um, so, yeah, on Saturday I was sexually assaulted. So, like, if I need to go talk to police or take phone calls or, you know, have appointments, like, I might, you know, my availability might be a bit weird. And he just, like, looked at me so shocked and, yeah, like, made yeah. this horrible little face. Like, you'd see a ghost. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot that this isn't something that, like, you just talk about. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of, I was like, I can't work here because everyone was just walking on eggshells around me. Yeah. Like, I, I would just be like, yeah, like, I've been sexually assaulted. So, like, if, you know, you see me and I'm going out to take a phone call or something like that, like, that's why. Yeah. And because people would be asking me, and I was like, why should I lie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good like, point. Like, if, yeah. if I'd been mugged or if my house, like, burnt down or if I was in, like, a shitty other, other shitty situation, like, I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't yeah. feel the need to lie. And But then I had to deal with everyone's natural response to try and, like, solve it or fix it or, like, yeah. be very uncomfortable and I found myself, like, soothing other people. Which you don't need to be doing at that time. Can I, yeah, because I want to, I think, like, yeah, if your house had burnt down and you'd been robbed on the street, like, people would sort of naturally think, okay, well, something happened to you. Do you think with sexual assault, part of the reason people react the way they do is because they're also thinking, well, what did you do yeah. in that situation it's to invite that? The idea, like, it's the idea that they have to figure out if it was a good or a bad assault. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, good meaning, yeah. like, you were a complete victim and, you know, what a horrible thing to happen to you. Yeah. And, like, what a strange situation. Like, that would never happen. Versus, like, a bad assault where it's, like, someone you know or someone you slept with prior or you were drunk or you were on drugs or you know, you said yes and then said no. Like, yeah. So there's yeah. these two categories. Of, they're trying to figure out, like, how much should I empathise? 
which is kind of yeah. You know, care about the situation like it's horrible, but yeah, and it's a bit, it's a bit that that idea is a bit ridiculous because it sort of makes it. I don't think that many people are having conversations about how it isn't cut and dry. There's no such thing as a good and bad assault. Like you can say yes five thousand times. The second you say no. It's a no. Yeah. And, exactly. And I don't think people are having that discussion about, oh, well, he had too much to drink. It's like, well, that's not my responsibility mm. that he couldn't control himself. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what people are trying to work through when you say, like, I've been assaulted. Yeah. Because yeah. They're, we're told so often, like, protect yourself and figure out, like, what you can do to make sure that you're safe. And it doesn't make a difference yeah yeah like it doesn't make a difference when it comes to the amount of rapes and around murders or anything like that yeah putting the onus putting the onus on the victim is is really just it's not the right way to go about it and we still have so much kind of victim blaming going on that it seems like we're distracted from the real issue here it's like that you know it's like that phrase like don't teach your girls not to wear short skirts, tell your sons not to rape them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it seems like such a simple thing. But yeah. it's, it's really difficult for people to kind of address that, like, the people around them are capable of these things and there's, like, this amount of responsibility on us to keep people accountable and to, like, nip bad behaviour in the butt. Like, yeah. When, before, before it rolls into something more sinister. Yeah. And the fact is, is that a lot of rapists and a lot of abusers are really, really nice people and really, like, they might be great friends. They're normal and people, they yeah. They might be, you know, really friendly, they might be really charming and they might be someone that you genuinely like. And that's how a lot of people, unfortunately, get into those situations because they might be a really nice person, yeah. And they're still capable of doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, we, we're sort of thinking about it. We have a son, so we're trying to teach him about consent at the moment in terms of like whether or not he can do a raspberry on our bodies without asking, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. And also with him as well, like whether or not, you know, he's given us permission to tickle him. So we, we're trying to come at it from the angle of like, okay, well, what is the way, right way to teach our son about consent? And we have to model that and we have to allow him to make his own boundaries in the hope yeah. that he will respect other people's boundaries as well. But we're kind of yeah. winging it at this point because I feel like there's still not enough education about there, out there yeah. about how to teach children how to relate to one another as human beings and how to respect one another's boundaries. Yeah. Well, I think especially with kids, um, like I come from like a family of like seven and I think the biggest thing that we forget is that empathy isn't inherent. Yeah. It's not an inherently human thing. Like empathy is taught. Yeah. Kids are like inherently like selfish and yeah. like they are self-involved because that's how they survive. Yes. Yeah. And like we find that women are more empathetic because they're taught more than guys. Like yeah. when we're younger, we're taught yeah. like this is this is how this would feel. Like how do you feel like when this happens? And we're put in a position where like we have to work through this situation and realize that other people have emotions and that our effects have role like impacts. It's sort Whereas of a fucked responsibility to put on girls though. Like mm-hmm. From the day that we're born, we're being taught how to constantly put other people's needs before our own. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Where as boys don't get taught that. Mm. No, exactly. And I think that it's in, like it is. It's like we we know how to teach empathy. Yeah. We know how how to empathize, but it's about empathizing with like our boys to begin with. Yeah. Mm. And not putting those like double standards on them from the get go. Yeah. 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 yeah because like we don't. It, it 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 just comes down to like actually putting children like in a position where they have to think about empathy. Yeah. Because like practicing like there's. It, it is obviously like their growing brain and they like I have a I follow this lady on Instagram and she does like early childhood um integration where she like teaches early childhood educators how to teach empathy and how to actually like manage bad behaviors because what we view as like bad behavior for kids is a lot different to what how they view it yeah yeah and so like like temper tantrums and stuff like that's like emotional like control like they don't have emotional control so like things like slapping and biting and stuff like that like teaching empathy might be rather than saying we don't hit and we don't slap and we don't do this is like okay well what can we hit and what can we slap yeah yeah that won't have an impact on anyone else yeah like so that's I don't know that's kind of like what I felt like growing up like my parents were very much like okay like you want to hit me that that hurts me so what can we hit okay yeah it yeah. sounds like you know a lot more about parenting <laughs> you do have kids <laughs> yeah, you might need to come teach us a couple yeah. of things about parenting yeah. oh like there's there's so much stuff online but like my parents were just like my obviously my parents were complicated people but I think that their core values were just like like my dad had a lot of like values around like loyalty and respect and like kindness and this idea that like he kind of put women on a pedestal mm-hmm. and so I kind of grew up with like this idea that like women should always be respected and like women should be this and like yeah. women should be taken care of and whatever else and like that's a pretty like old like it's like the opposite end of like an old school view yeah, yeah. um where yeah. like it's this idea that women are naturally smaller and more delicate and have have to be taken care of but I grew up and took that as, like, we should treat every single person with this amount of respect and kindness and think of each person as, like, a mirror of ourselves. Yeah. I think that's how I've approached parenting. Um, but I guess... It's how I try it's... to approach parenting, but I don't <laughs> always get there. <laughs> I think I think the aggression has, has been challenging in terms of, like, you know, watching those kind of temper tantrums and, um, you know, being, like, actually physically hurt by, you know, yeah. our son and, and going, I don't know what to do in this moment and I'm angry at you and I've got to control my anger and that's that's hard enough as it is and then to have to teach you how to process your emotions. So, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's hard. It's hard to, like, it's, like, muscle memory in terms of, like, it's so easy to say, oh, well, just talk to them and say, like, I can see you're feeling angry. Like, what can we do to, like, you know, how can we redirect this and how can you be angry at something else other than me or what what would you like to do? And it's so easy to say that, but in the moment, obviously, it's completely, like, completely different. Like, I, I do similar things, like, with clients where I can see them 
saying, like, say, they'll say things that'll be like, how many, how many men have you seen today? Or do you have a boyfriend or do you have this? I'm like, I can see that you're like trying to gauge, you know, what kind of person I am. But there are other questions that you can ask that aren't impeding on me or don't make me feel like you're judging me. Yeah. And they go, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Like they don't, it's sometimes you have to reframe yeah. someone's behaviour or thought so that they, they, it's again, it's like teaching empathy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> we got we we jumped from sex working to child rearing yeah. really yeah. quickly. Yeah. But so I suppose major, those are kind of the same. Time. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna say it's probably sometimes very similar. Yeah. Um I kinda wanted to oh babe, did you have no. it? Um I wanted to ask that if we can get um whoever it is that you follow um that has led to this big epiphany for us can you get, tell us their handle on instagram yeah for sure um let me just have a quick look i think it's just esther fiddock which is like her name esther fiddock yeah esther fiddock so e-s-t-h-e-r-f-i-d-o-c-k cool awesome I, thank I, you i look at all of her stories and stuff <laughs> and like i'm always just in awe yeah because her kids just seem so well-rounded and you see kids that are actually they are acting up and stuff and you think like what does that mean like what what does that really mean but at the end of the day it's like they are just like learning to control behaviors that adults have spent their entire lives learning to control and sometimes still fail at yeah definitely all the time all the time (laughs) it's it's hard it's like one of those things where like you think of it and you go oh like it's so easy to compare like someone's child to a child that like you have or that you know or in your family because like my like my kids way better like <laughs> but at the same time it's like you don't necessarily you can't compare people in terms of their emotional control especially like as children because like you see grown adults that slam doors and punch walls and yeah. scream and yell and kick things and it's like that's emotional control and it's something that you have to actively work on and, like, train every single day. Yeah, yeah. half the time I can't calm him down because I'm busy spending 15 minutes trying to calm myself down from throwing something across yeah. the room being like, this sucks, I hate this, I don't want to do this anymore. And, like, he's going through the same thing. Yeah. And so yeah. I have to remember that, like... And it's just it's yeah. just the, like, idea behind it. Like, he doesn't have the, like vocabulary to describe what he's feeling or communicate effectively yeah and so that's that's frustrating in itself to like feel things and not be able to say what that means to you yeah 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 and not having as well like being a kid especially is like being so out of control of everything for him as well he's someone who needs a lot of control so um being out of control in any way is challenging for him so yeah yeah, yeah I think sense. it's like one of those things where you have to look at kids through a scope of like you see grown adults every single day that have control issues. Yeah. Yeah. And have panic attacks if they can't you know, they genuinely get this huge sense of doom or like the end is near if they can't control the situation. Check, check. Yeah. Is this huge sense of panic that like but they haven't they learned to suppress what it yet. This is going to happen if they like don't know what's happening. Yeah, or yeah. If they're not involved in something, and yeah, I'm assuming that being a kid would be pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> like 
You just be like, oh, what happens like if we go in the car? Where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And like your parents just going, we just have to get to this place. And you're like, we don't, I don't know where I'm going or why I have to go. And, and you're I'm making in the middle me go of building Lego. Yeah, like, I don't want to leave. Station to like, build. Like, why are you making me go to this place? I don't want to go to the doctor. Why do I have yeah. to go to the mm. doctor? Why do it, I have to go to school? Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty weird situation because like imagine if like you were doing something. Like say you were working and someone just goes, we have to go to the shops. Like we have to go right now. And. Like, yeah. you tried to explain why you need to continue working. You're like, no, we have to go. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't go down well. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's the same thing. It's literally the same thing, except, like, we don't understand, like, obviously executive function is a thing that, like, kids are working through. Yeah. But I have the same thing with, like, my partner who has, like, ADHD, where he'll be spending, like, six hours playing with cables <laughs> and he's trying to cook at the same time. Like, hey, you need to like focus on one thing. He's like, no, it's fine. Get both. And I'm like, you're burning food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we've had we've had to have serious conversations. Like, if we have kids, like, you can't prioritize cables over our kids. Because <laughs> like, like, I, I as like a fully formed adult can understand that. Yes, you love cables, but you also love me. But if I was six or like five, six year old kid, I'd be like, oh, cables are really cool and I'm not cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, so good. Yeah. Oh, no. I feel like we've got probably like two out, two episodes out of this. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to kind of go back to you deciding to do sex work. Especially yeah. if you're comfortable talking about it, especially after your assault. Like, are you, like, would you mind chatting about, like, what your first experience doing sex work was like after that experience? You don't oh, have to. Um, my first experience was fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like, actually fucking terrifying. Like, nothing bad happened. Like, I wasn't in danger. I didn't feel, like, unsafe or anything like that. But it was terrifying. Yeah. Like, and I felt that going from any new situation, especially in sex work, because it's so intimate, I've always felt that same fear. Yeah. Like, yeah. it took me six months to, like, go do a, like, trial or brothel because I was so scared. Mm. Yeah. Even though I'd been doing, like, independent sex work and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I can do whatever. But, like, going to a brothel was fucking terrifying and I was like shitting myself and I cancelled like four times yeah and that made me feel way worse but my first time like working independently I had one 15 minute booking and he was like just this older sweet dude and then the second booking I had was and this is on the same day the second booking I had was a half hour booking with this business guy and he was something that the industry kind of looks at as like a unicorn hunter or like he look he hunts for fresh girls like ah. so a guy that will like scour the internet for someone who's never done sex work before and he'll book them the one time and then he'll never see them again okay and the whole time he was he like I honestly think that he was probably a pedophile because he kept asking me like how old are you and how old were you when you lost your virginity? And do you know any girls younger than you working? And it was it was so intense. Like I like this is happening. Like these conversations and these questions are happening while we're having sex. He's right. like, you know, do you, like I'd love to like 
meet someone like 15, 16, maybe younger. Like, oh, gosh. and I, he's like a 30, like mid 30 year old, like well off business guy. And I'm just like so, uh, like, so shocked at the, like, this whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as he left, I was like, holy shit, like, what was that? Yeah. Like, what do I do? Like, how did you like, process that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I was going to say, like, how, so if you, like, if you have sort of an inkling, and especially if he's sort of admitting it, like, you, what can you what do you do because you can't really call anyone yeah you can't really do anything with that information because it's hearsay yeah there's no proof so i don't i probably didn't know his real name i probably didn't have his real number he probably had a burner phone yeah yeah and what was i supposed to say like oh i had a booking with this guy and he like sounds like a pedophile Mm, yeah that's yeah yeah, that's true but how do you process that for yourself well i don't know that sucks i'm sorry yeah yeah yeah, so, like, my first time was, like, very scary. Yeah. How yeah. how do you process that afterwards? Like, obviously, um, going from, like, being sexually assaulted and then into, like, your first day, and, I mean, you said the first guy was, you know, pretty nice, but, like, yeah. the second guy, then, like, how did you process that afterwards? How did you work through that to then go and, and do it again? Continue to do it, yeah. I thought of it in the sense that, like, it's better me than them. Like, I was thinking, like, I'm an adult and I'm uh, working independently and, yeah. like, I've, you know, like, it's me, I'm an adult. Like, and meaning it's like better that, you than... a very naive kind of thought. Yeah. Do you like, mean, like, where, you, like... it's Sex workers aren't receptacles for, like, terrible people. Yeah. yeah. But I thought of it as, at least I'm an adult, like, at least I'm someone that, like, can defend myself if need be and I'm capable of, like, standing my ground, whereas, yeah. like... Someone who is like a child, like a teenager, yeah. wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I dealt with it. I processed it as like, at least you know, he paid to have sex with me. He didn't pay to have sex with a child. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you yeah. mean. Yeah. But that isn't. That's not a healthy thought. Like in the long term, you yeah. don't want to view yourself as like. At least it's me that they're treating like shit, not yeah. a child. Or at least it's me they're treating like shit, and not their wife or blah blah. Like you don't want to think like that. Yeah, because that's and sort of like victimizing yourself as well. Like kind of re-victimizing or taking yourself. responsibility. Yeah. Taking responsibility well. for yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. luckily for me, like I never had any other safety concerns really after that. Mm-hmm. Like I never had any terrible clients. Majority of my clients are really really lovely people and then there's like a few that are just like annoying but yeah (laughs) like any like any other job yeah like Like any other work (laughs) down to like people that are a bit oblivious like yeah but um yeah the majority of people i know that i see are genuinely really really good people yeah is that like do you feel like your your clients so you've got regular clients yeah. Yeah. So, but do you I mean, feel like not a whole heap, just like a few? Have you kind of trained them in a way as to like how to be respectful, or like were they just always like that? Some or? of them were like that, but a lot of them, I find that my personal clientele is very like a lot of newbies, a lot of new people. For some reason, my marketing appeals to. Yeah. And like, I like that because it's a blank like blank slate to kind of work with yeah. and be like this is this is how this works like this is how you you know text and like send an inquiry this is how 
a booking would naturally go and you should shower beforehand and afterhand and like yeah. sexual health checks and all of that. So like that's always good. Yeah. Mm. So you have a lot of things in place as to as to basically how to educate your client about I guess, you know, um, like yeah. hiring Basically, a sex worker. I mean, it's like I attract clients that are, um, I'd say more on the left-wing side. Like mm-hmm. they're open. They're open to like hearing about like feminism and like proper etiquette and they're open. Like I made a choice, which a lot of sex workers don't, which is to be open about having a partner, yeah, like, with clients because I didn't want to have any clients that fell in love with me or yeah. wanted to push my boundary into, like, a romantic relationship. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot, of, a lot of sex workers, like, will not do that. They'll hide their relationships and pretend to be single and say that they don't have family and they don't have a husband or they don't have kids and blah, blah, blah. whereas I'm like, yeah, no, I have a partner who knows what I do, like, and, you know, that's something that's really important to me is that you respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Is it, and like... I think it also humanises me to them. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, someone, like, she goes home to someone at night. Yeah. Who knows what she does. And, like, for me, it makes me feel safer. Yeah. Like, I don't have anyone who goes, can I come to your house? Yeah. So, like, well... I live with my, like, fiancé. I live with my, like, fiancé's brother. So, yeah. yeah. So, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've got a cat. Are you allergic? You probably don't want to come over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. obviously there are some, like, there are benefits to being single and working and, like, having your own place. Like, you have, like, a permanent in-call or something like that if you choose to. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Like... I wouldn't open my house or have someone know my address or have, like, I wouldn't even feel comfortable having clients, like, meet my cats. Yeah. Let alone, like, be in my house. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that's, like, where my degree of separation is. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably fair. Mm. Um, Did you have another question you wanted to ask? Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you, because part of the show is, is reflecting on, things that we've learned from like but perhaps mistakes that we've made but we also want to highlight some of the positive things so have you like had like a particularly positive experience with any of your clients or like anything that's sort of like like any job you know you kind of do like job reviews in your head and you go this one sucked this client was terrible yeah like this one was awesome and like it was actually really funny yeah um I think the biggest downfall I ever had was like working in an agency because with an Mm. agency they pretend they post your ad independently and you get bookings independently so they would see your ad for you and they book you specifically and the people running an agency would pretend to be you through text message and stuff um and that got me into a shitty situation where I did an out call where I went to this, like, hotel. <coughs> Sorry. And um, the guy there asked me a bunch of questions that I just didn't know the answer to. Right. And he got, he got really angry about it. 
like he got really furious because he was like, I thought I was talking to you and blah, blah, blah. And like, he said this on the phone, this on the phone. And like, I'd feel absolutely scammed. And I was like, oh shit. Like that could have ended horribly for mm. you. Like, you haven't, like there was no. They didn't like, give you a brief or anything like that as to what you had previously no, discussed. In because they were, so, they were so like focused on just like getting closing the booking and making sure it was secure and then just sending me off. Yeah, right. that's pretty fucked. Yeah. Yeah, and whereas, like, with a brothel, there's, like, this healthy medium of, like, you go into a brothel, they go into an establishment, there's, you know, cameras and there's audio there and there's buzzers there, and you do an intro and then they decide to pick you, like, an impulse, kind of like that one. Yeah. Whereas, like, you don't have to worry about, like, what things have been said on the phone or anything like that. Like, you're talking to them one-on-one in an intro. Yeah. And if you don't want to see that person for whatever reason, you can say, like, I don't feel comfortable with Yeah. Yeah. So that's, like, the healthy in-between. But um, I'd say that the best experience that I've gotten out of sex work is, like, just meeting other sex workers. Like, I found that, like, the community is so incredibly, like, giving and generous and kind and empathetic and, like, I probably made one of my best lifelong friends through sex work as, like, a doubles partner. And she's just, like, the coolest person on earth. Like, she, like, is travelling at the moment for, like, a year, going to Palestine. She's learned Arabic, so she can work in Palestine and help out there and going to India to do, like, a big, like, to become a yoga instructor. And, like, she's, like, just... A, such a go-getter yeah and when I like was so basically my sexual assault case was supposed to go to court in November last year and it we went to court for three days and there was this legal argument and they couldn't find a judge and it got postponed for a whole other year so now my court case isn't going to happen until November this year oh, geez. and I was so distraught that I just couldn't work like I couldn't do any kind of sex work and I was working in a civilian job and before she left she messages like she messaged one of her clients and said, Hey, can you please help my friend out? Like this is what's happened to her and she organized for one of her clients to give me fifteen hundred dollars just over coffee and he left. Like Wow. That's a great she, friend. And she, and she wrote down a card and she was like you know, you're one of the most incredible people I've ever met and, like, I'm so, like, sorry that this has happened to you and I hope this helps just a little bit. And I was like, my heart. Yeah. $1,500, like, you know, when I was working independently wouldn't have been that much money, but I was earning, like, $400 a week. Like, and I couldn't work. Like, I was just so distraught and anxious and... yeah like, in such a bad headspace that I couldn't even really do, like, my Sydney job. And I was like, oh, my God, this has just, like, saved me (laughs) from, like, crumbling. And I wouldn't have had that, like, without sex work. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have had someone that – like, and I had people that sent me flowers and cards and, like, you know, like, retweeted all of my work stuff and, like, was like – follow like follow her and like you know support her and do what you can because like this is what like sex work is about and like even in the brothel like there was a girl recently who got um she got septicemia and she's like not from here so she doesn't have medicare Mm -hmm. and her hospitals are like 
10 grand already. Oh, wow. And the girls in the brothel have, like, fundraised for her and people, like, there's a girl in the brothel who's selling nudes for, like, donations, like, whatever people That's can so afford, awesome. she'll send them nudes. And <laughs> she's, like, raised, like, $1,000 just, like, doing that. And it's, like, that kind of hustle yeah. is, you don't see that. Like, you just really don't see that in a lot of other fields where, like, yeah. someone's in the hospital, you don't see people, like, doing whatever they can physically, like, just to help out. And that's that's definitely, like, the highlight. Yeah. yeah I guess it comes back to that empathy, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. This huge amount of and your community. This huge yeah. amount of, like, just, like, how I word this. It's this huge drive. I think that, like, sex workers have such huge hearts and can empathise so well with so many different people that they just, like, are the best friends that you could possibly ever have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, yeah, and probably because they, they have to empathise with clients, yeah. different clients every day, they'd be much more open to empathising with their friend who mm. needs 1500 bucks to mm. make it through the month. and yeah. Like yeah. a muscle, like they've built up a muscle of, yeah. like, empathy. Where, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. 100%. Yeah. So what are, like, are there other things, like, you've said the community, what are the other bits, like, how else has sex work helped you, helped you in your life? Like, it's helped me basically, like, pay for, like, to live in a really nice house and mm-hmm. to help support, like, my brother-in-law who had, like, top surgery and, like, my partner when, like, he was doing an internship, you know, doing data engineering and, like, now he's got, like, a $100,000, like, internship from yeah. doing a free one. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so little things, like, I've always had this role that I've felt of, like, being a caretaker and, like, yeah. taking care of people around me, but now I actually have the means to do that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. That must be so liberating. Everyone, like, how that ripples off, like, into their lives and creates, like, it creates opportunities for them. Like, my partner's got, like, an incredible job now and my brother-in-law, like, feels okay with his body now and feels more comfortable and has gotten a job and like those things like bring me a lot of joy because it's like I I it's the kind of thing that you want to do for people all the time if you have unlimited money I would love to like help this person do this thing that they're really passionate about and I would help you know I want to help my friends with like all of their projects or I want to help you know people that are doing it really rough or anything like that yeah but if you don't have the means, it's just, like, this kind of, like, passive guilt. Yeah. yeah. Like, God, yeah. I would just love to, you know, be there for them. And the thing is, is that that generosity, that it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to be generous. Yeah. yeah. But it it does pay back, like, the amount of, like, love and support and the things that my family would do for me in return is, like, exponential. Yeah. You know what I mean? I suppose it's or, about fostering that community as well. Yeah, like, like I think of, like, my family, my friends as, like, a, my community and, like, they come first always. Yeah. And, like, sex, sex work has, like, enabled me to be able to support, like, my family and stuff. So, like, when, you know, I want to hang up, like, my hooker heels or whatever and I just want to chill out and have a family and relax there's going to be no issues. No one's ever going to go, Karen, you should have worked harder. You should have yeah. done that. <laughs> yeah. And be like, thanks, Karen, for, like, helping us get to where we are. And if I want to be a stay-at-home mom or if I want to, you know, go to uni and have a, like, 
you know, a nanny or something like that, no one's going to question me. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to yeah. be like, do you need it? I'm like, no, I do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's awesome. Um, I'm just going to check out questions and see if there was anything. Oh, we haven't talked so much about, like, personal relationships, like navigating that. Uh, like, we, we touched yes. on it a little bit, but you said that you've got a fiancé, like, yeah. and that you were, um, I, I guess, like, non-monogamous when you um, yeah. started dating. How have things played out in your relationship? Like, have there been times where you've had to, like, sit down and have a chat about things or, oh, like, has it just like, flowed naturally? All the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, so, like, I guess it's one of those things where, like, the connotation of having to sit down and check in is, like, ooh, like, looming. But it's, like, we check in every single week regardless. Yeah. Like, it's, like, a locked-in time. Which sounds like people go, that's really weird. No, it's I'm like, we way. need that. We need that, baby. I think ours is like, no, it's like Thursday it's, night. It's so, <laughs> it's so beneficial because yeah. it stops us from ever assuming what the other person thinks and it stops us from holding on to things and letting it fester. Yeah. And so by having a designated check-in time, it obviously most of the time it's just like, how do you feel about things and like how are you feeling about us and you know how 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 are you and a lot of times like I feel good I love you you love me things are pretty good that's good <laughs> and like that you know might seem a bit silly but like by doing that checking when things are wrong or like when things we have say have like a disagreement about something it's so much you have that like muscle to just like say what you need to say and say yeah. it in a way that isn't like I don't know if you guys know like Brene Brown but it's like oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, don't yeah. Up, don't <laughs> down just speak your truth yeah yeah and so like we have conversations all the time where like it might like you might have to just like breathe and go okay I'm not, I'm not gonna puff up I'm not gonna shrink down I'm just gonna say my truth and it might just be like Say, for example, my partner went to the hospital and to see his, like, papa, who is, like, 93, he's, like, amazing, and he's, like, he's not doing very well, but he's, like, old as hell, and he's, like, very, he's one of those old people that's, like, I'll be dead tomorrow, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so like, okay. um, anyway, and he's deaf as a doorknob, so my partner and his brother go to the hospital to see him, and they're both screaming at this old man, so you can hear him. <laughs> and there's a lady next to them. So it's a public hospital. There's a lady next to them, and she's ESL, and so, like, she doesn't speak English very well. And she just – she puffed up. Like, she puffed up, and she was like, you need to be quiet. Don't scream. I can't hear my husband. Blah, blah, blah. My partner is the kind of person that – loves to be self-righteous mm-hmm. like this, this is his fault his fault is that he loves to be self-righteous when he feels like this is my time they've wronged me i can go ham yeah. he just goes for it <laughs> and he like he just like starts like he's like he just like goes off this lady and he's like suck dude and i was like oh my god and he came home and so like the lady went to the nurse and was like and, you know, like, they're, they're both in an emotional situation. The lady goes to the nurse and complains about it, and the nurse comes and talks to my partner and his brother and goes, yeah, I'm sorry, it's a shitty situation. And he comes to me and tells me about it and I said, Matt, like, you puffed up. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And I was like, you didn't empathise with her at all. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but she she yelled at me first. And I said, well, 
imagine being in her situation mm. where she's in a hospital, you don't know if her husband's dying or what's happening or anything like that. She doesn't speak English very well and there are two loud, very loud Italian Polish boys <laughs> like screaming at their papa. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's a shitty situation all around. Like obviously papa you can't move papa to a different room and it's a public hospital, but you have to empathize. Yeah. Like to, you puffing up doesn't like she's not gonna go home and think about how she like freaked out at these guys for trying to talk to their like hard of hearing grandpa because she got screamed out as well. Mm. As soon as you puff up at someone and you yell and scream, they don't reflect on their actions at all. Mm, yeah, that's a really good if you point. Sh- if you show them empathy and you go, I'm sorry, like I understand that this is a really shitty situation for both of us and we can't, you know, move our papa to somewhere where there aren't other sick people, but he can't hear us if we don't talk at a certain volume. Like, we're sorry. Like, that's what would have made her think back and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. And have the potential that's, for learning and evolving, like, yeah. from that situation. And, but it's, it's, it's obviously so easy to just, like, when someone, especially when someone does the first thing to just go, Good I'm defensive. so yeah. I'm so right to just go at this. 100%. Yeah. It's like no. You, yeah. you have to breathe, you think, and you do. You have to just speak your truth, not you know, shrink down as well. I think that's also really important is not to go, Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We'll just like, I don't know, not talk to our papa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. to yeah, to just to speak your truth and I think that that's like the main thing that we work on in our relationship is in communication is to both kind of try like support each other in in doing that like practicing emotional intelligence and communicating effectively and not holding on to things longer than they need to but also not bringing it up in a way that's exaggerated yeah, anyway. I just got a side eye. And <laughs> 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 we've learned so much from you. You should do like a TED talk or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'd just be me, like, basically saying what Brene Brown says. Well, yeah. 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 I like, think that's probably what we do. One of the best books do. that I've read was um, Why Won't You Apologize? Oh, oh, what's that? Who's Who wrote that? Um, It's, what's her name? It's honestly the best book ever. Um, it's Harriet uh, Lerner. Harriet Lerner, why would you apologize? So basically, this is this is something that I've like I like I think that every single person on earth should read her book. But basically, it's how we deal with like it come. I think reading this and reading Brene like Brene Brown's like work together is mm. so fucking beneficial because you go okay. Why Why is my apology not solving the situation or why is this person acting this way? And a lot of it has to do with shame. Yeah. And it's this idea of, like, when people apologise, they, sometimes they puff up and they give a false apology and they go, I'm sorry that you feel like this. Mm. Or they shrink down they go, I'm so sorry, I'm the worst person on earth. And they, mm. like, are making news <laughs> to them. Yeah. And to speak your truth is to give a heartfelt apology and yeah. to know when to apologise. And I think that it's something, especially in, like, working, being able to communicate your expectations 
it's a muscle that you build and it's so important because like when you do need to apologize for things it's so hard like it's so hard to apologize for things when you genuinely feel that you've done something wrong oh god yeah yeah, it sucks (laughs) like I think one of the best examples of um from why when you apologize is Harriet like talks about being in an airport with her kids and there's a little girl and her mom and she's got lollies for like so Harriet's got lollies for her kids and without thinking she just like gives a lolly to like this like this other lady's kid and then she sat and the lady didn't say anything and so she sat on it for a bit and then she she thought oh actually she probably apologized for that so she goes oh, I'm sorry for um, giving, you know, giving your child a lolly without asking you first. And the lady just goes, thank you for apologising. And that was such a heavy thing for her. She was like, she was like, thank thank you for apologising. And just by saying that and accepting apology, like, wholeheartedly made her think sincerely about how she acted. Yeah. Like, she went home and thought, like, because she didn't puff up, she could have puffed up and said, like, how dare you, yeah, thank you, like, how dare you give my kid lollies, like, you don't know, you could kill them, she could have been, like, diabetic, blah, 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 mm. or the throw-off apology, which is what people do all the time, but they go, oh, no, no, it's fine, don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't, by doing that, and it's the kind of thing that you do when it's to save face, like, it's to save someone from being uncomfortable. Yeah, and yeah. You do it, people do it all the time where they'll, complain complain about I can't believe this person did this and did this and did this but then when the person actually says oh yeah I'm sorry that I like you know did this shitty thing it was like maybe something that was kind of annoying rather than saying like thank you for apologizing they go no no it's fine yeah yeah and then they get more and more angry yeah about person continuing the behavior yeah even though the person's like done the hard thing of going oh actually the way I acted was pretty shit yeah. And you've just dismissed it to try and make them feel less uncomfortable, but yeah. really you've just reinforced negative behaviour. I think it's also because I've um, at, I used to be a primary school teacher and I used to teach kids really young because they, they get it very quickly where they're like, that's okay when someone apologises. And I say, yeah. no, say thank you for apologising if, if you want to accept their apology. Don't say that's yeah. okay because what they did wasn't okay. Like yeah. y- you want to accept their apology because they're giving it to you. And, yeah. But I think, like, a lot of the time it's, like, it's not it's not just the fact that you want to, like, alleviate their discomfort, but that you also want to, like, not admit that they hurt you as well. Yeah, it's, it's the confrontation. It's, like, yeah. actually admitting, like, yeah, what you did made me feel like shit. Yeah. And, like, having to have this weird conversation because it's so easy to just go, no, it's, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it, blah, 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 and, like, try and distance yourself or put a wall up yeah yeah and I think if you if you deflate like if you take the energy out of their apology then they might think well I can just do what I did again because if I just say I'm sorry and you just go Mm. oh that's okay then why am I apologizing to begin with yeah why did I feel so bad yeah and I think it's part of like this this Australian culture this like kind of like let's sweep things under the rug like let's just smooth it over and we'll pretend it's okay but I think we need to have these hard conversations we need to make mistakes we need to be able to apologize for, for them, have that accepted and work on like what we can do to make amends or like how we're going to stop that from happening in the future. And I think that's the only way we're going to like grow and evolve. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think like apologizing is one of the biggest things that like breaks up relationships mm-hmm. because 
people will hold on to things and there will be this grey area of who needs to apologise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we both feel bad. It's like there's this, you know, weird tension. It's like who needs to apologise for us feeling bad? Mm. It's like, okay, there's a way of apologising where you don't put the onus on the other person. Like you you just apologise for what you've done. Yeah. Like you introspect and you go, I'm sorry that I reacted so explosively to something that you said or I'm and keep it short like keep it simple and empathize with the other person but don't like expect I think the biggest thing that goes wrong with apologies is this expectation that if you apologize it has to it has to solve it yeah, they yeah. have to forgive you yeah, if you give yeah. a good apology they have to forgive you it's like no you're apologizing because it's the right thing to do yeah yeah and if you give a wholeheartedly a wholehearted like apology, the chances of them thinking about what you've said and thinking about what they've done in return and giving you a sincere apology is higher. Mm. And but you should never go in there expecting like this is gonna be like they have to forgive me. Whatever I've done doesn't matter because I've I'm gonna apologize really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause then that makes like, it about you instead of about them. Like, <clears throat> Definitely. Um, and um, that, that, then you're apologizing, and that makes the apology about what you need and not apologizing yeah, yeah. for what you did wrong. Yeah, it's like apologizing is like so, like, it's not, I'm not going to say it's like against our human nature, but it's, it, it's so obscure to like go completely out of yourself and not think of yourself at all when you've done something wrong. Yeah. Mm. I think it's also because of, like, the litigious, like, society that we've, like, been in. Saying, like, apologising has meant that you're at fault. So people have been hesitant to apologise because then they're going to be held liable for something. And I think recently there might have been a change. I don't know which country. If we've got listeners um, in this (laughs) episode, maybe they can let me know. (laughs) Um, But, like, I think there was a recent change in the law that – was basically meaning that if you do apologise, that, that doesn't mean that you can be held liable. So I think that yeah. that, like, that also kind of informs the way that we act as a society because, like, you know, if we are allowed to apologise, like, if it's not such a, like, oh, don't apologise because then you're going to be guilty, like, yeah. it, it's just going to make it a lot easier for us to get along. Yeah, because it should, like, it's, it's where like, guilt's obviously good for us in a lot of circumstances because mm. it changes behavior but yeah. um shame obviously shame yeah it just it just makes you stagnant yeah it makes you stagnant and it makes you repeat behaviors and when you don't apologize because of shame because you view i've done something wrong because i'm wrong yeah or yeah. i'm a bad person that's when you just continue doing you continue fucking up like yeah. continue messing up because it's about you as a person. It's not about what you do and that distance is so important. Yeah. Like we need to kind of teach people that you are not your actions but you are the accumulation of your actions. That you can always change that. And like I this sounds really it sounds really like weird, I don't know. But I do this thing where like whenever I'm gonna do something, I think like I wrote down like what kind of person I would like to be. And anytime I'm gonna do something that and you know is like a is a big thing or like it's a going out or doing this thing or this thing like it might be something little like what I eat or how I spend my day off but it's 
is this thing going to bring me closer to the kind of person I want to be mm. or is it going to take me further away from what I want to be? Yeah. That's and a really good yardstick. Kind of how I view, like, everyday actions, like how I act, like, to my partner or how I act at work or how I spend my day off or anything like that. I think, is this taking me closer to the kind of person I want to be? Is this me working towards that or is it me taking steps backwards? Yeah. Mm. And I think that's really important because like it keeps you accountable for your current actions it keeps you present because I think like to bring it back to like relationships and sex work and stuff it's finding a relationship in general and I hear this all day every single day in the girls room it's like men are crap and well you know like you can never trust any man and this and that and this and that and this and that I just think okay understandably finding a relationship like a monogamous or like a semi-monogamous relationship that works is like quite difficult Mm -hmm. it's just difficult because like having good communication and having vulnerability and having like the skills to set boundaries and to work through issues is something that a lot of people unfortunately don't have yeah and it's something that like has to be taught and has to be talked about because like I'm very 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 lucky to have the partner that I do but we still regularly talk about how we can improve our communication and it might come down to saying like he brought up I think we should get marriage counseling before we're married because that so many people get marriage counseling when things are down the shit off yeah 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 it's like I'm like I think it should be part of our wedding budget yeah because I think it's really important and I was like yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah like because I think more so in monogamous relationships it's this idea that when things feel good there's nothing wrong or there's nothing to talk about yeah that's Mm. a good point and it's so easy to just coast Yeah. yeah and then when you when something does go wrong, people have tallied. People have like kept yeah. notes, or like if you want to be like hip and say like kept receipts on like all the shit that they've done, so yeah. they have a better argument or have better things to hold up their side of this. And it's that's what breaks relationships. Yeah, is this idea that when you love someone, when you feel good around them, you can understand exactly how they feel all the time, or you yeah. can understand exactly how they think in this situation or that situation. It's like, no. That's unrealistic. You should never assume that that person is just going to consistently react that way or think that way. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of the reason why we also kind of started started this podcast is is because of that reason. Like, we, we've had a couple of near-miss breakups pretty mm. much um, because – our relationship started off on a really big high because I was like I was living overseas I was living in the states because that's where I'm from and we're in a long distance relationship for so long that once we actually got to be together we were kind of riding this high Mm. and then it kind of it crashed a bit because then we had to actually be in a relationship and Mm. I was here for the time yeah Yeah. like we had to do like the fear of the domestic yeah yeah. domestic terrorism that's real domestic terrorism (laughs) and like like, living together stuff like it's like my one thing that like when I would go on dates like I just want to do domestic shit like mm. from the get-go yeah no fancy dates no like we're going out to a fast no, no 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 like I want you to come to Bunnings with me <laughs> my desk with me yeah. yeah cool with that like 
And fortunately for me, Matt was like very good with that. <laughs> I'm like, do you want to watch Netflix and like cook a meal together? And that's the kind of stuff that like you get used to like later on in a relationship. But I was like, no, this is what I like. Like, I don't really like going out. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. partying. It's really like, like, I just want to hang out with my cats. <laughs> and watch Charmed. Yeah. <laughs> and make a cake. I don't know. Like, that's how crazy it's going to get. Yeah. Like, it is. It's so true that, like, you go from, like, this huge high and that high where, like, you feel so good and so in love and, like, so on the same page is when you need to communicate the most. Yeah. Because you need to figure out, like, it might be, like, when you're feeling really good about the other person, they might do something and you go, oh, but, and it's confirmation. And it's like, it's like, this idea that, like, you just throw away your, like, the idea that something's wrong because of this, 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 this. It's like you mm. agree with all the information that everything's fine. Yeah, and yeah. it's so much, like, it's it's so difficult when you've gotten into that habit to actually go, when it's something little but it's still important. Like, it might be, for example, with me and Matt, say he, because he has ADHD, he often forgets, like, his plans or when he's making plans, they're very muddled and I'm a very, like, I like to have things planned out and controlled. I'm just, I, I like to know what's going to happen at this time and this time and whatever else. Or at least I like to be in the loop about what changes are happening. And so, say, on Sunday, he wakes up at 11.30 and I'm like, oh, what are we going to do today? Because we had previously made plans to go and make like a planter for the backyard like pull out a bunch of weeds and whatever else and he goes oh uh, I don't know and then he looks at his friend and goes my friends are coming in 20 minutes to play Dungeons and Dragons and I was like you're in your underwear I'm in my underwear what and I was like so frustrated because I was just like what do you mean what do you mean you're going to play Dungeons and Dragons? And Dungeons and Dragons goes for like six, seven hours. Oh, yeah, it does. And I was like, <laughs> and I kind of walk around the house in my underwear because all your friends are like kind of nerdy and they might freak out. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, and we had to have this conversation after it was done. I just like stayed in our room the entire like time because I was like, I it's not accessible to me and I don't want to be rude by, like, coming in and, like, ignoring people and walking around. Yeah. I can't, like, watch Charmed on the TV, so I do. <laughs> and I stayed in my room until it was over. Mm. And he comes in and instead of, like, it's one of those situations where when I talked to him about it, he was like, oh, yeah, I understand. But he came in and he was like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go out? Like, let's go out right now. Like, let's just go do something, okay? Oh, and I was like, man. no, I don't really want you anymore. Mm. And... I brought up with him, I said, all I really wanted to hear from you was like, hey, I'm sorry that our initial plans didn't work out and I'm sorry that I didn't communicate better with you about what was going to happen today and it kind of put you in the lurch. And his initial reaction was, how can I, how can I fix this? How can I fix mm. this? Like, let's go do something. Like, let's have quality time. It's like you can't force quality time because yeah. when you're dealing with disappointment in whatever form, it's not about the thing, it's about disappointment it's about mm. not communicating and failing to communicate and feeling left out in some way and so we had to have this big conversation where I was like 
I'm not sad that we're not making planters. Like <laughs> it's not about fine. the fucking planters. I'm not, sad yeah. that we're not pulling out weeds. <laughs> I'm like disappointed because we had talked about it and then you sprung on me this new thing. And like I'm fine with you hanging out and playing Dungeons and Dragons because I know that you really enjoy it. But I really enjoy knowing what's happening so that I can plan my day like and organize something so I can mm. have fun rather than hanging out in the room and being a gross little goblin for the whole day. Yeah. And so that's like that's the kind of thing like we have to have constant conversations about. Yeah. Because of how his brain works. It's so lateral. Like he's the kind of person that when he cooks a recipe, he writes like a, like a flow chart. Oh. And I'm the kind of person who like looks at a recipe, I'm like, okay, I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's and like I and it's like respecting and like loving that the way that we view things works so well in different ways. Like mm. the way he thinks laterally, like laterally, makes him such a good like electrical engineer and like data engineer because he's always constantly thinking of other ways of doing things. Yeah. And when it comes to me, like doing like finding us a house or like getting shit done it's like like I, I, I don't know I'm pretty bad getting shit done that sounds bad um but like when I when I am doing things that I want to get done I just think doesn't matter about anything else like this is my plan I'm mm-hmm. sticking to it and if something happens it happens but I'll figure it out yeah rather than going there's something like what if, if this is better or what if this is better or whatever else I go this is my plan I've researched it I've put the work in beforehand I'm on my way there's nothing else to look at yeah. And so it's all sounding very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you find that like people that like if you have two people that think very directly like we have to just do this and then they're both together, that could cause absolute chaos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I don't think that I could be with someone that was exactly like me and I don't think Casey could be I don't want to be with someone exactly like me. That sounds like my worst. No, neither. Yeah. Because yeah. I would do my absolute head in. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always, like, and, like, my partner and, like, my brother-in-law, like, always joke, they're, like, Karen's right. Like, Karen's or pretty much, like, 99% of the time right. Like, this is what she's doing. And I'm, like, don't tell me that. Okay? Right. Because <laughs> now I'm going to run with it. Like, giving me a giant head. And when I am wrong, it's going to crush me. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, a lot of people struggle with, like, relationships in general but it's the stigma around sex work and you're in a whole phobia I think it's this idea that like oh you're you're blessed if you can find someone that like accepts your job which yeah. isn't the case yeah like you shouldn't think that like having someone that just like tolerates you being a sex worker means that they're like sucked a good person mm. and I think it's something that like we grow up with especially as women like we go this person's nice to me Wow! Yeah, <laughs> lucky yeah. me! That's so cool! Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that someone would have been nice to me? Yeah. And then, like, as you get older, you go, like, no, be, like, anyone can be nice. It has to be this or that. But then with sex work, it kind of, you have this stigma, like, you have this, like, shame about being a sex worker. Why do you think you go, that is? Why do, why do we have such, such a stigma around sex work? It kind of goes both ways between, like, like, obviously it's, like, an older view where, like, conservative view where like women should like be monogamous and like should 
wait until marriage to like have kids and have babies and stay home but then on the other side of it is like a a feminist perspective like in quotation marks it's like women have worked so hard to be able to work and like do corporate jobs and do high-paying jobs and be highly educated like and it's this idea that to have sex with someone for money means that you're you look down on yourself like you have to you have to not feel good about your life and yourself to be able to do that right but the but the thing is about sex work it's like you're you're kind of your own enterprise so that like (laughs) that's exactly what feminists fought for for you to choose that kind of where there's a hierarchy like there's in this day and age, there's, like, good sex, like, I, I hate to say it, but there's, like, there's good sex work and there's bad sex work. So there's, like, good sex work is, like, a white, middle-class, like, high, right. you know, mm. high, like, someone who's charging a lot of money escort. And then on the lowest end is, like, survival sex workers who do street-based work or are drug users or, you know, right. like, anything like that. Like, it's this idea that, like, Oh, if you don't have to work, but you work as a sex worker, that's fine. If it's a choice. But if you have to work and you have bills to pay or you have kids to feed or, you know, you need to do this to survive, that's bad. It's like every single person on earth has to work Mm. for money. Like we all have to earn some money to support ourselves. Yeah. And that's where it kind of comes in and it's like, no one ever, like, said the things that they've said to me when I was working in a salon and I was being yeah. severely underpaid and overworked yeah. and whatever else because they viewed it as, like, higher morally than what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I mean is, like, people think of it as, like, this sort of low-class low class thing but no one would probably say the same to a single mom working at Aldi mm. like it's yeah it's... exactly like no one no one would come up to me like working in a bar and go what would your parents think yeah like, <laughs> yeah I'd be like I don't know <laughs> like it's the same thing like my job is of no interest like my job is only of interest to me and my family like my partner and like that's it like yeah. it has no no impact on anyone else in my life yeah and that's how it should be like my work is my work I enjoy my work I love what I do but it it's still work like it's just it's like a nine to five for me yeah 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 yeah. do you think the stigma is changing at all pardon do you think the stigma is changing yeah I think that it's becoming more and more normalised a little bit. But, again, it's normalised in the sense of, like, higher-class escorts. Yeah. It's glamorised kind of, like, pink, you know, like, tinted view of what sex work is. Yeah. And that gets people into sex work. Like, there's a huge influx of new girls and the industry is pretty saturated. But when you sit there, like, I sat at the brothel from 12 o'clock to 8 o'clock with no bookings like two walk-ins and they intro and they walked out like and that's a reality like it's mm. not you know going in earning five grand walking out and buying a Louis Vuitton bag and like just being like yeah that was easy like we yeah. probably didn't even have sex like yeah. it's like I guess like when you see on Facebook and Vice and YouTube and whatever else like sugar baby culture like this 
that's the epitome of like the best sex work. Yeah, right. In a lot of people's views, is because it's like it's not real sex work. Like someone's paying you to hang out, yeah, and paying you to be pretty or paying for things for you. But that's not. It's saying like it's kind of like sugar baby, and then like BDSM, like dominatrix stuff, because I also don't do full service, and then strippers, and then, like, it goes down to, like, full service, and then, so it goes, like, independent escort, agency, brothel, survival sex worker. And so, and the thing is, as well, is, like, when I say that I haven't experienced very many dangerous situations, it comes down to, like, me being very privileged. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, a white, conventionally attractive, like, at the time I was charging, like, $500, $600 an hour, and because of that, like, I could be picky and choosy about who I saw and where yeah. I was. And, yeah. Like, because of working on decrim, I was out to all of my family and my friends. And, like, that amount of privilege, like, keeps you safer. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And it's, that's, that's the reality is that if I was, like, trans or if I was on a street-based worker, if I had a drug issue or anything like that, like, those would play into me being assaulted mm, or yeah. me being, like taken advantage of or me being attacked or anything like that yeah yeah what do you think's changing the stigma and what do you think like needs to change or like needs to be done a lot of sex a lot of sex workers are charging huge amounts of money need to use their voice like obviously keep themselves safe in whatever way possible with their identity but i think that it's really important for us to share real stories and real like i do on my instagram um like a log of my clients and what they're like. Oh, I've seen those and I've been loving reading them. They're so good. Yeah, because it, it shines a light on what actually happens. Because it's like people think of like a brothel and they think that it's like crazy and hectic. And whatever. I was like, no, like we sat there for eight hours and like I think all of the like cup noodles were gone by the time that like <laughs> like it was so slow that like everyone like when sex work is slow, we eat. <laughs> and we're all just sitting there like on our laptops watching like youtube and like shit and we're just waiting for men to turn up like in like little you know like robes and we're just like sitting with like these shitty little like slippers on we're like waiting for men to turn up so that we can take off our robes and put our heels on and like fix up our highlight and like, <laughs> yeah. walk out and pretend be like hey how are you yeah like, pretend like you've been sitting around like that all day <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And I think that it's really important, especially, like, for me, I mention, like, things that go on, like, in the booking that aren't explicit. Like, I don't really think it's necessary to be explicit. Yeah. Um, but more just, like, what they ask me or how they talk to me or what kind of booking they're after and why they haven't, you know, fulfilled that in their personal life or anything like that. So I think that's really important for me to share. And I think that if people shared the good and the bad and – kept it neutral and people were neutral about it and said oh okay so this is how it is but don't focus on either side yeah that will help the stigma yeah yeah so you can't just focus on like the guy who was rude and was like how many men have you slept with how like how many people have you been with today and like do you have a boyfriend and blah blah blah. like yeah he was rude but like he was trying to figure out who i was yeah as a person yeah and he didn't realise, like, how horrible that came across. Mm, yeah. He's learning too. And, 
yeah, he's learning. And it was like, he booked me because I was like his ex-girlfriend. It's like, so obviously he's dealing with some shit. Yeah. And I'm the facet for that. And I was like, hey, like, I understand that you're trying to figure me out. You're trying to figure out what kind of person I am. But the questions you're asking are, like, invasive. And they're not necessary, like, unless you get turned on by how many people have had sex with today. Do you really want to hear the answer? Yeah. Yeah. No. And yeah, that's a good point. So that's kind of, like, my thought process on it. Yeah. So, like, on that note, in terms of, like, sharing, like, I guess, the multitude of experiences that you have in that, is there anything that we haven't asked that, like, we might not know about or things that people generally don't ask um, sex workers that you feel, like, needs to be shared, like any other experiences or a side of it that perhaps we we haven't touched on? I think... The biggest thing is trying to like focus on like because I think a lot of a lot of people's focus is just on the money like the way that they justify it the way that they think about it is like from a financial perspective yeah and I think that it's so important for people to try and like when they meet a sex worker and the sex worker is open is not to ask how much do you earn or how much does this cost or this cost or, like, because you don't, like, it doesn't justify it. It doesn't matter if someone charges 10 bucks for full service or someone charges $600 for full service, they still deserve respect and dignity. Mm. And I think also it's really important to just, like, obviously I'm talking from a place of privilege, but it's also really important to talk to sex workers that are less palatable. Mm. Like, their story is, like, you know, there are sex workers that get abused and assaulted maybe even on a semi-regular like regular basis and they still deserve to have their stories told and to not be pitied. Yeah. Or, like, you want to empathise but not look down on these people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, like, any questions or anything like that, I think it's also, would you ask the same, like, just to think, would you ask the same kind of questions to someone in any other high paying position that you're not aware of that you don't have a lot of like, you know, insight with. Like you have to think like, why am I, why do I feel comfortable asking this question? Yeah, mm. I think I think people function under the illusion that because sex is involved that it's okay to pry. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's I've I've personally dealt with a lot of like people in my inner circle that have have kind of assumed that because I'm a sex worker that I'm going to be really fine with, like, certain things or talking about yeah. certain things. or And it's, like, it just comes down to, like, mutual respect. Like, I'm a really open person because I find I feel safer that way. Yeah. I feel safer kind of taking the onus off people to, like, out me or use sex work against me by being very, like, upfront about it. But, yeah. like, I'm still the kind of person that is you know, naturally a bit shy and, you know, has, you know, has boundaries and has things that I don't want to talk about or don't feel comfortable talking about. And that's something really important to remember yeah. is that someone telling you, like, I'm a sex worker doesn't mean that you can just go and be like, this person's a sex worker, talk to them. Like, yeah, or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's, there's always boundaries. There's always yeah. things to account for and be like, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. Am I am I allowed to ask this? Why am I asking this? What am I? Gonna... Yeah, that's a good point. 
Mm. Um, I did want to ask in in relation to your clients, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be, do you identify as queer? Yeah. And does that come into play with your clients at all? Because I know, like, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, statistically a lot of your clients would probably be men or male-identified people. Yeah. Like, yeah, are there any, are um, any... A lot of females don't see... Yeah, I know that there's, like... Oh, sorry, go Like, ahead. a lot of um, women don't see sex workers because of stigma. Yeah. Mm. I know that there's like, a there's a service in the UK that's opened up that's actually, like, a women-only exclusive... I think it's a yeah, Brussels, like, maybe? Yeah, there are more things like that coming up. But you also see, like, a lot of male sex workers are hunters, like, are ex-clients that have... I could do this right and that's really cool yeah because they're going in it's like I just get to fuck men and get paid for it cool but it's like no there's a lot of actual work that goes into it like obviously I've had a lot of couples that have booked which has been interesting because I only take couples bookings if I can talk to the woman or the female partner because a lot of men will think it's appropriate to surprise their partner right. a person a human being don't do that <laughs> you, don't brought, yeah. and, you know you don't just turn up at someone's house i brought you a body bring someone else like, yeah that's fucking weird yeah. yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i was just i was just wondering like if if you've come across that many female clients but i can't imagine that there are that many yeah so it's oftentimes couples yeah, like yeah. there are obviously like exceptions yeah. But, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the times it's couples that are, like, trying to, like, experiment or there's, like, the, you know, there might be one person that's bi and, or like, queer identifying that's in, like, a hetero, like, relationship. And so this is a way that they can kind of, you know, explore that side of themselves without, like, cheating. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just curious. Um, we've covered a lot of topics today. So many topics. <laughs> And I feel like with you sharing your, like, experiences and your, like, relationship stuff, it's kind of been a bit of a therapy session for us as well. (laughs) So thank you for that. I feel like we've worked through a lot of our own issues today. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's all right. Anytime. Cool. Um, yeah. Me and the girls from all the time, they'll be like, just being like, they'll just say, like, so you think that is? And they'll be like, they'll just like pour their heart out and like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you talking to us and sharing your story with us. No, that's okay. Yeah. I really, I really, really enjoy like talking about this. And obviously, I think that me, like, me talking is a lot easier than a lot of people. But I think that if you guys can get people in more, more like underprivileged positions or people like less, less open voices kind of communicate their stories, that would be amazing. Because yeah, that's a my, really good point. Yeah. My perspective is only, only so much yeah. like what the sex industry is like. Yeah. yeah. And I can't even imagine or speculate like what other sex workers go through. So yeah, that's something that, I look forward to, and I hope that you guys can get convince people to share their tales. Yeah, yeah. I'd like I'd like to get you know all kinds of people, like people of color, and maybe someone who's trans who's willing to to share their story. Well, hopefully, me yeah. talking about it will help. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are so. Any of our listeners, we are open to suggestions as to 
who we can interview um, and, um, yeah, anybody um, approaching us about sharing their story, um, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Cool. Well, thanks. thanks so much, Karen. Yeah, thanks so much. That's all good. Maybe when we're in Sydney someday we can meet up for a coffee. Sorry, what's that? So maybe maybe if we're in Sydney at some point we can meet up for a coffee. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'd love that. Yeah. Or and get some more parenting tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in Melbourne. This is. <laughs> okay. I'm going to Melbourne at least once a year, so oh, cool. we'll figure something out. Yeah, yeah, we will. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Karen. Hope your cold That's gets better. Yeah, feel better. Anytime. Well, I will talk to you guys soon. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to let you know when it comes out. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. 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 Bye.